0: Maybe I'll get too hot. You know how those TV preachers always sweating. You could just see the beat, of sweating. Uh, Alwyn, was this part of your offering? I'll just leave it here. I'm Pastor Self and I'm very glad to be back. noticed that it's um, only 37 miles from my house to your front door not far in California times That's it's gonna be okay it doesn't seem to well you know the touch thank you that's good to have the mic right in front of you yes I noticed your bulletin cover here today. My heart is fixed on Jesus. Is your heart fixed on Jesus? Yes, of course. It's, it's something to be excited about, isn't it? He's the most exciting part of our world that we are on a fantastic journey, uh, a supernatural journey uh, and time is on our side yes. and all the things that God has done to to help us along our way. <clears throat> I know that you all are um, perhaps some of you were involved in that that Bible study on um, revelation by Dr. Fowler. I saw so who here in this church is in charge of the Crestline Facebook page. Who would that be? Your wife? I my wife. Okay. I I get the Crestline news uh, through my Facebook, and I saw that you were in your study, some of your studying Revelation, which is very good. And um, as uh, as Adventists, uh, even in Arkansas, Arkansas, we 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 study our Adventist history how uh, in, the, in the 1840s in the 1840s a lot of people thought the Lord was coming and I could make it short and say and so here we are that's how our church when our church was formed That was the major um, thought in selecting a title for a name for our church. When the government forced us to have a name, Uh, they chose the name Seventh-day Adventist because we are hard-headed. We still believe the Lord is coming, even though he didn't come in 1844. Aren't you glad he didn't come in 1844? Uh, I don't think we would be in heaven, would we, or on our way? And so I'd like to just say, um, to me, the most important thing about um, the, the history of the Bible, or 1844 and the founding of our church, is that God was with those people. God was with those people, and God is with us right now. We're not stuck somewhere in between the way God used to be and the way God is going to be. What we are right here is God is. He was with them. He's still with us. He's leading us along our way, just as he did the people that were on their way to the promised land with um, Moses. God was with them. Oh, he was with them day and night, uh, seven days a week. And that's the way God is with us right now. And uh, aren't you glad? See, sometimes we could get too stuck in the past or in the future that we neglect who's right in front of us right now. And that's why I'm glad that I've noticed. That you're really a praying church as well. Really a praying church, and in all these things that God has blessed us with. uh, In our time, I I noticed the way the screen came up and and all the wonderful blessings that God has given us, that we could, many of you could live and. Such nice homes and in the mountains and wherever you live, the things we have. It's important to remember the most important things of all, and that's why I wanted to talk about the cross today. The cross. Because uh, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the lights, right? And the cross is, uh, is like um, something that if you take, keep, take a close look, it keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. Because how did we get to the cross? But by the incarnation of God himself. That God, through Jesus Christ, Decided to help these people in such a way that uh, it, would, it would be almost too much to speak about. That God, first, he, the incarnation, the birth of Christ, the virgin birth, that God would be born into this world as a um, little baby. And I forgot to mention Hilda. I've known Hilda now for 20 years. What a delight to see Hilda and with a beautiful family. And that in 20 years, she doesn't look a day older. That's because she's walking with Jesus, yes, and has a good husband. God has blessed Hilda. Thank you, Hilda. And today, of course, Hilda is a blessing to your church, too. Yes, we all work together. So I'm talking about the, um, all the things that so when we look at the cross, what takes us to the cross is that God became a man, a human. So he knows what it's like to wake up in the morning uh, on a work day, he knows what it's like to work with his hands. He knows what it's like to get a splinter or step on a a thorn. And he knows uh, what it's like to have a Sabbath day and to share the knowledge that we have with each other, talk about uh, the glory of God and and put everything else aside. And so at the cross, uh, we see so many things. We, we see that things that they were not able to see at that time. Just imagine a crowd of people watching that day as uh, Jesus was being crucified. Now we know from our uh, point of view that God poured his love out to us there. It didn't look like it at that moment. But we know that by his stripes, Isaiah, again, like we were studying Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter 53, that by his stripes we are healed. It didn't look like it that day. We know that through the cross, Jesus has given us a new purpose for life, and that's one of the reasons we're here today and not out doing other things, because we have new purpose for life, because we love Jesus, not because we're here by works. We're not here to beca- We're not here because keeping the Sabbath saves us, but we're here because we are saved and we love God and we appreciate it, and He's worthy of our worship and honor and praise. And he's our life. He's our beginning. He's our life today. And the Sabbath shows that, that he's our life today. And he's our destiny. We know that we're on this fantastic journey. So the, the cross gives us a new relationship with God. That's where that's where. It, we could say, can we ever say anything began where something begins? And yet, you know, at the old rugged cross and at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, the cross shows that we're forgiven and uh, our sins are paid in full and that we have eternal life. And when I see the cross, and I hope that some of you do too, now you look like the best people in the whole world you you, if it was possible looking out at you today it looks like you really didn't need a savior but I know you did because the bible says that we all do but for me when I see the cross I see that, that crown of thorns that's the crown I deserved that is really the crown that should belonged on my head yes And whoever put it there would have been deemed righteous. Yes. And the stripes and the nakedness and being nailed to that cross would have just been the punishment that Fred deserved. And so I see Jesus personally paying the price for my sins. And each one of us should be able to take it personal, so personal. And only we know the secret things of our life. Not that it, I'm t- accusing anybody of having deep secrets, but I'm a man, I'm alive. Appearances can be deceiving, and I'd say, look from the from the entire crowd that was looking at Jesus that day. They saw him hanging on a cross. Our Lord and our Savior was actually hanging on the cross. The one who is our high priest now, who hears our prayers and intercedes in heaven to the Father for us, ministering his own blood on our behalf. That was him hanging on the cross. And by all appearances that day, when they looked, he looked like the least powerful person in the world. He didn't look like he had any power. He had been arrested. He had been beaten. Well, somebody arrested. Once in a while, they mistakenly arrest an important person. You know, that makes the news. But Jesus had been arrested, beaten, tried publicly on trial, convicted, and sentenced to death. And as we're in an election year, I don't have a lot of faith. I'm glad we have a democracy. But I remember this trial when supposedly religious people said, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And so how how good can we choose them? Yes. Jesus had been stripped of, even of his clothing, brutally nailed to the cross, and he was bleeding. He was exposed to the elements. The first thing I noticed today was the atmosphere up here on the mountain. There's the trees. There was a, a wind blowing today that I kind of loved when I got out of the car. And I can imagine Jesus there on the cross and being exposed to whatever the atmosphere was that day. And people watching him. Soldiers were there guarding him and he was completely at their, under their control. And he didn't look like the most powerful person in the world because he had no army. He had no military power. He didn't have any important friends that we knew of that it looked like that would help him right at that time. No political power because they're the ones who had tried him. He didn't have anything to offer in exchange, money or land, like we could have. And all of his followers had deserted him. Perhaps some of us have known desertion. But Jesus went through all of that for us. At, at that moment, he lacked control of even his own movements. In the hospital, sometimes um, patients for their own good have to be restrained, tied to the bed. Oh, does that make people mad? That will make a preacher's daughter Say bad words, you know. Uh, But Jesus yet on the cross, restrained by those nails until he would die, he spoke not a word. Could I have kept my mouth shut? Oh no, not me. He spoke not a word. He didn't say, look how important I am but it was in his deeds and in his silence. I can't imagine anybody more powerless than Jesus appeared that day or more lacking in control, being able to control things um, around the world, uh, tell somebody to go do this or go do that. And yet, at that very moment, at that moment, when Christ was there, he was the most important, powerful person in Palestine. Jesus, hanging on that cross, was at the most. He was at. He was the most powerful person, and he was the most powerful person that the universe we'll ever see. And he was there on the cross. And in spite of how it appeared, he wasn't at the mercy of those Roman authorities. He appeared to be at their mercy, almost as the way Samson played with the people in his time and allowed them to tie him up And then he broke the bonds, and Jesus would do something similar later. He would break even the bonds of death and rise again. Yes, Jesus had the power at that moment to destroy those Roman guards on the spot or to cause them to faint or anything he wanted to do, anything we could imagine he could have done. But he displayed his power by not uh, doing anything, by not saying the words that we might have spoken. Anytime he wanted to, he could have come off the cross and annihilated his enemies. For even uh, during his arrest, when one of his disciples cut off somebody's ear, and Jesus to put it back on, remember. Jesus said, "Put your sword back in its place. Don't you think I could call upon my Father?" And he would at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say that it must happen this way? He was obedient even unto death. Yes. You know, I have felt... um, Rather at the last moment, last night, as I was looking over my sermon notes, that I felt God um, inspiring me to to tell something that uh, I've, i shared before last Christmas, and uh, to tell something that He told me that I should tell people more than um, twenty. 20 years ago, back in the time when we went to another church and at that time God was calling me. Because of what's going on with Islam uh, around the world and because of the way that um, our government right now is planting 15,000 Syrian Muslims, all at one time building them cities, mosques, schools, anything they need, at taxpayer money. And our, our, uh, one of our candidates, Hillary Clinton, wants to double that number. I feel that God is, I know that God is telling me to retell this story that he told me long ago, so it's not to tell you who to vote for, but to help you to understand what and who Islam is. Now I think many of us, you know, I've been to a lot of schools and I work in hospitals and I have individual Muslims who are like a brother to me, who are the finest citizens. I have had a student at the University of California who were from uh, Turkey a Muslim, and who is just the sweetest uh, and sharpest daughter that I have ever seen. And I'm not going to talk about the individuals like that, that we could love them and be their neighbors and and welcome them to come to our country. But when we have um, our government bringing in s- complete cities, building them a city. I, I was born in Colton, California. And uh, on a little mountain uh, right next to it, a beautiful hill called Loma Linda. And no, I didn't meet Ellen White, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> At that time, Colton had 15,000 people. And uh, so I would just say, I, to me, a city... Is a, a city can be of 15,000 people that is a city that's a complete city that our government is building for these uh, Syrian refugees that they're bringing in and, and they're Muslim and at this time it's impossible to screen Muslims because we know that they're not friendly to Christians they don't like us They've been brought up not to like us, and the things that are going on right here on Waterman Avenue, right here where Marie Anzali Ange- Marie works, and she saw it, them run out after a massacre with her own eyes. This is h- close to home. This is a Trojan horse that our government is bringing in. We know the Trojan horse story and uh, so this is a text in our bible it's a as a good christian you know what they say uh, that if i'm telling you that god told me something it has to be in the bible right and so back about back about the time when i knew hilda one morning, I prayed that, God, I want to get to know you better. And God told me in a dream that night, the most frightening dream I ever had, go to La Sierra University and become a minister. Woo-hoo. Oh, it's like speechless, like Moses. I spoke not a word. And as I started going back to school, of course, I was reading my Bible once a year, like all of you are, Right? And I was praying for an hour every morning, just like all of you do. And there was, um, there was one text. It was, it, when you start uh, working even on an associate degree, you're going to have to take classes such as the world religions, where you learn about all the religions in the world and how they got started. Well, Islam was started by Muhammad, of course. 600 years after our Bible was written. Approximately 600 years after our Bible. And Muhammad, we know, see, there has always, since the days of Abraham, there has been a conflict between Jews and Arabs, you know, I mean, between those two sides of the family family feud so Mohammed was going out in the desert and uh, the angel of God spoke to him and told him in, you know, not word for word what I'm telling you but told him in general that Mohammed you are my next prophet there will never be another prophet after you now, you know, we as believers in Ellen White, we have some uh, problem believing that, but that's not even the important part. The, the, supposedly the, this uh, angel of God told Muhammad that Jesus was a great prophet, but Jesus was only a man. Only a man. He was human. Not, he didn't come from God. He is not the Son of God. There was no incarnation. The Jews got that story all mixed up. Yes. And so, when I was reading this text, it just happened to be at the time, and you know, God made it to just happen to be. Whenever I stopped praying coincidences stop happening, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I was just reading this text and taking this world religions class at the same time and, and uh, just like we're, we're able to think and go, bingo, that's just a perfect match. And when I saw this, what I'm going to share with you, God spoke to me and said, you should tell people this. And I believe maybe it's more important right now than ever before. I told it at every church I ever preached. And I, I can't remember anybody ever coming up to me and saying, well, thank you, Pastor. I got it. But at least I'm planting a seed of knowledge. And this text I'm going to share with you is 1 John Chapter Four. You now in the Bible there's a series of small John books, First John, second John, third John. This is First John chapter four, the first four verses. And it says, "Dear friends, don't believe every spirit." But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So what this is this telling us that there's good and bad spirits? We know that, don't we? Darkness and light, good and evil, spirit world. Because test the spirits, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4 Verses one through four. And this is so simple. Yeah, if if my little two-year-old could read, she could understand it. Test the spirits, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this is saying that a prophet is someone that a spirit speaks to. Right? The spirit speaks to someone and and gives them a message to give. To someone else. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Well, is this important? This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that can acknowledges or confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's talking about the incarnation that God became a man and took on human flesh. Yes. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is is not from God. For this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard, have heard is coming and is now already in the world. And it goes on the next verse, Dear children, you are from God and you have overcome the world. You know, we. But this is the perfect match for Islam that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This could open up a whole Bible study for some Sabbath afternoon for you on the pre-existence of Christ, that Jesus existed before he came here, and he and the Father made a plan. They made a plan that he would come and do all these things for us. But when Jesus was here, He told us what about the devil? The devil is a liar, is a liar. And so I call this Satan's masterpiece, Islam. Absolutely Satan's masterpiece. To just lie and say, well, Jesus wasn't the son of God. He's just a man. Look at him. Just a man. And so, because I want to share that with you, because we have an enemy that's moving in the world, in the whole world, and is the enemy of the cross. Is it not our enemy? If we would just give up Christianity and give up Christ, well, we would have we we would have no enemy with Islam. But because we're believers in Christ, Islam, the religion, is an enemy to Christianity. And because the devil is such a liar, when you see somebody promoting Islam, what they say is, we believe everything that Christians believe and more. See, we have Mohammed... And we have, believe in Christ. We believe in Christ. But they don't really believe in Christ. Because supposedly God told their prophet that Jesus was only a man. But we are the light. We stand here for Christ. We stand here to say that though on the cross he looked powerless, he wasn't. And that he is God. And that he is coming back and that uh, we will worship him until the end. And we know that Islam is incorrect. The Bible tells me so. There's power for us at the cross, power for us to be delivered, power for us to have the truth and walk in the light, to know that our sins are forgiven, New life begins at the cross, and I hope that I shared something with you today that you will remember, a reminder of the cross and its importance, and a lesson about test the spirits for many false prophets have gone out into the world. I would talk more, but time has cut me off.